We are in the final passage in the letter of James that we've been studying together this summer. Uh, Next week, we'll be returning to our study of Exodus, which we've been doing the last few years. We're going to be finishing uh, Exodus over the next few months, so excited to get back into the tabernacle of of the end of Exodus. It's going to be great. So, uh, But important final two verses from uh, the letter of James, James 5, verses 19 and 20, hear the word of the Lord. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, uh, we, we bless you giver of truth. We thank you that we uh, read in the Gospels about the prodigal son, and that each one of us knows that we have hearts that are prone to wander from you, and uh, you have sought us out. You've sent Jesus, the good shepherd, to draw us back to you and bring us into your fold, and we pray that our church be a place that countless times The lost and wandering would be brought back in by grace and teach us what that means and shape our life together uh, by your holy word and by your your Holy Spirit. And we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we're in our our, our final sermon on the letter of James. It's been such a a deep and, and challenging book to go through together this summer. And in the opening sermon of this sermon series, uh, we talked about how the book of James is a letter that's really about living out your Christian faith. It's about pushing the gospel into every corner of your life. And so James is saying things like, be a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. So it's about action. It's about obedience. about make sure your faith is not by itself, but it also has good works with it, or your faith is dead. And so it's a, it's, the letter is a demanding call to Christian obedience. And so in light of that, I love how James ends his letter in these verses, these two verses, where it's a description of someone who's wandering away from the truth and the the life that he's just called us all to in this letter and uh, that fails to meet the demands of the letter. And the person is not rejected by the community. The person is sought out. And they're, they're drawn back in, they're brought back in, and love covers their sins. It's really a, a beautiful picture. So in a, in a letter calling us to obedience, the final word is a word of grace. And James understands that people in the church are going to fail to meet the bar that he set. He doesn't lower the bar because of that. He keeps the bar where it is, but he makes a, a path way back so that people can experience grace and be welcomed back and, and grace can change them. And I'll tell you, so that truth is one of the, is maybe the most essential truth about who we are at Christ Church Bellingham, that grace changes people. The only way people experience deep internal transformation in their life is through the grace of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, how does that work? How does grace change people? Well, these two verses, I think, give some really profound insight on that. And so we're looking at just two verses this morning, and how does grace change us? And James says there's three things that we need for grace to transform our lives. We need a family, 
We need the truth, and we need the gospel. We need a family, we need the truth, and we need the gospel. All three things here in these final two verses. So, first point this morning about how grace changes us. We need a family. And James begins these verses with his favorite way to address his fellow Christians. What does he say there in verse 19? My brothers, uh, which is a reference to the family of God. And it's all the men and women that are a part of the, the church family. And, you know, that's how it is in the Bible. All the women in the church are called sons of God, and all the men are a part of the bride of Christ. You know, it's, it, this is a, this repeated word that he uses is talking about the household of God. And 19 times in this letter, he calls us his brothers. And uh, that means that, John, that all of James' commands, you know, he has all these commands about obedience in, in his letter. It all happens within the stable context of a covenant family. That is what we are. We are a family that's bound together by a covenant. And, you know, our family meal that we have every Sunday at the Lord's, the Lord's table, what does Jesus say? This is the blood of the new covenant. What is a covenant? Well, a covenant is a relationship that is formed around promises and obligations, around vows. So it's like in a marriage. A marriage, when does a marriage begin? It's when, when a man and a woman take vows to one another. And those vows be, create a new family. And then the children are supposed to be born into the kind of security of those promises and those, and those vows. And so why are vows so important in a marriage? Well, because... A marriage is going to have its bumps. It's going to have its ups and downs. It's not going to be a honeymoon every day. And so the relationship of marriage can't be built on our feelings. It needs something more stable than our feelings. And it's those vows. And that's why, you know, whenever I marry people, I never let them write their own vows. And if you did that, you know, no judgment. But, but I'll say to them, if they want to say, I just, I'm so in love with you and I'm going to be in love with you every day of my life until we go, you know, and I say, no, 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 we're not doing that for the vows. You're going to say in plenty and want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and his health, as long as we both shall live. I know maybe it's boring and old fashioned, but it's stable. It's immovable. And that's actually what the marriage needs. We need something stable outside of us that keeps us connected through the ups and downs. And your relationship with God is the same because you're going to have spiritual ups and downs. And so you need something stable outside of you that seems to be immovable. And that is what the covenant family is. And I love what James says about, uh, um, is, is that James ends his book recognizing that some people in our church family are going to wander. Some people are going to struggle to keep the commands that J James has just given to us. And you'll notice how he says it, verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, he says that the wanderer is one of us. We should see them that way. So I think the first thing that James says about how grace changes people, it's within the context of a covenant family. That's, that's stable, and it's, you know, the, 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 the church family is stable, so it can absorb some of the sinful tendencies that we all bring into this church family. And I love how St. Augustine talked about this. Uh, Augustine was called the doctor of grace. And Augustine, when he was, uh, some of the other theologians that he was debating 
like the Donatists or Pelagius, they were Christians who had a very perfectionistic understanding of the Christian life. And they would say, well, you know, when you come into the church, there's a very high bar that you need to meet and everyone needs to meet that. And Augustine was more realistic. And he said, all these people that come into the church, they're born with a sinful nature. And then they grow up in these sinful families and they learn all these sinful habits and they've been mistreated. And they're not just going to come in and live a perfect life in the church. They need time to kind of learn the way of the kingdom and for Christ to transform them. And so he says, it's, it's kind of like, you know, the church is a body. And basically the mission of God is that the church is supposed to bring the whole world into it. And the world is filled with all these sins. And he says, it's like the, a body that has to eat the world. And he says, some people taste bad. And, and so the, the church has to be able to absorb the sinful tendencies of people without spitting them out. And so there's a stability, there's a resilience there. That is what grace does. That's what the covenant does. It makes us a resilient community that gives people time and safety to change. So how does grace change us? That's the first thing. It's the covenant family. We need a family that absorbs the problems and sinful tendencies we bring into the church that we have time to change. Okay? Second thing we need in how grace changes us is... We need the truth. We need a family. We need the truth. And you can see that James puts a particular emphasis on the truth there in verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. And this is a pretty broad phrase, but I think that it says that even within the context of grace, there is still going to be confrontation. In a grace-centered church, each one of us as individuals need to be confronted with God's truth. And uh, it can be very common for churches to say, we're a church, we're all about grace. We just love people and everyone come as you are. And what can sometimes be built into that statement, we're all about grace, come as you are, is God loves you no matter what you do. And that's not really what the gospel is, the life the gospel envisions for us. And uh, what that's called is antinomianism. Antinomianism is anti, which means against, namas, which means law. It's an anti-law church. And that basically, in the name of grace, ignores the role of the law in God's truth. But historically, Christians have said that the scriptures basically have two main big method, uh, messages that are woven together that kind of work cooperatively in the scriptures is the law and the gospel. They're both good messages. But they're different messages and they do different things. And so first, the law tells us what God demands about how we should live. The law tells us what God demands about how we should live. And when God makes that demand, there are three things the law does. First of all, the law is a mirror. So, you know, earlier in the service, we confessed our sins. And whenever we confess our sins, we always read a little passage of Scripture right before the prayer. You know how we do that? That's called the reading of the law. And it's being a mirror to show us like, oh, wow, I'm a sheep that wanders off from the Lord. and I don't listen to him. It shows me the character of God. It shows me my own character and drives me to Christ. So that's what the law does is a mirror to show me who I am. I need that. Okay, good. Second thing the law does is that the law stops evil. And that's more how the law is used in society. You know, we have laws about not stealing, and you're going to go to jail if you steal something. And so that frightens people. They're like, okay, I'm not going to steal because I don't want to go to jail. And so it creates order in society. So that's a good use of the law. The third thing of the law is that the law teaches us how to live. 
So the law is a mirror, the law stops evil, and the law teaches us how to live. And that's after you become a Christian, after you receive Christ, and Christ gives you a new heart, and you say, oh, I want to live for God, and I want to glorify him. Jesus, what should I do? Oh, the law tells us. So you have these three purposes of the law of what God demands of us, but you see, and you see the important role it plays, but one thing that the law can't do is change someone. The law can tell us what God demands, but it can't change us. So it's kind of like maybe you've heard the illustration of the plumb line, where a plumb line can show you if a wall is straight. A plumb line can't make the wall straight. You know, if you've got a crooked wall, the plumb line's not going to fix it. You need a carpenter to come tear down the wall and rebuild it. And so how our lives are changed is not actually by hearing the law. It's by Jesus, the carpenter, who comes and tears down our wall and rebuilds it for us. And so the law tells us what God demands about how we should live. But the gospel, on the other hand, tells us what God has done to save us in Christ. And we will be a church that sees grace changing people only if we are willing to speak the full counsel of God's truth. And that means only if we can say the hard words of the law. We need to hear the hard words of the law so that we can also hear the sweet words of the gospel. So what do we need to experience grace changing us? We need a family, the stability of a church family, covenant family. We need the truth, including God's law. That is a, it confronts us so that it can drive us to Jesus. But ultimately, the law can't change someone. Only the gospel can. And so that leads to our last point. We need a family. We need the truth. But ultimately, we need the gospel. And James' final words in this letter, verse 20, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, when you read that verse, I know some of you, that will be a challenge for you. It sounds like when someone's wandering that one of us is going to go save them from death and cover their sins. Is that really what we should be doing is saving people from death? Can we do that? And if you start thinking too much, that does thinking that way, it can get you in, in some trouble because we can't save people. And, uh, and if you think it is my job to save this person, oftentimes you start badgering a person and you drive them away because you're thinking, I have to fix your life and you can't fix their life. Or you think it was my job to save them and, and you think I never did enough. And there's a tremendous amount of guilt that comes upon you that I should have done more and I could have rescued them. And that's to think that it's my job to save them. And I was, uh, I've been rereading C.S. Lewis's Narnia stories, and there's a, a scene in, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where the, the four children have gone into the land of Narnia, and they met Mr. Beaver. And they're talking about uh, a fawn named Mr. Tumnus who'd been kidnapped by the White Witch, and he's been turned to stone, and they're saying, we've got to go rescue the fawn. And this is what Mr. Beaver says. He starts talking about Aslan. Aslan's the hero of the story. He says, Aslan, said Mr. Beaver, why, don't you know? He's the king. He's the lord of the whole wood. But not often here, you understand. Never in my time or my father's time. But the word has reached us that he's come back. He's in Narnia at this moment. He'll settle the white queen all right. And then this is the final line. It is he, not you, that will save Mr. Tumnus. It is he, not you, that will save Mr. Tumnus. And what Lewis is drawing on there is one of the most important themes in the whole Bible. Salvation belongs to the Lord. 
The name Jesus means Yahweh saves. The Lord saves. It is his work alone to rescue and save people. And you look at these phrases, you know, save people from death. That's something that God does. The next phrase also, cover a multitude of sins. That's a quote from Proverbs, that love covers a multitude of sins. And the Bible picks that up and says, it's, th- this is a phrase for God forgiving people's sins. Psalm 32 says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That's what God does. God covers our sins. The blood of Jesus covers our sins. And even the phrase wandering You know, you hear about this person who's wandering away from the truth. When you hear the word wandering, what's the image that immediately comes to your mind? Is a wandering sheep. And who goes and gets the wandering sheep? The good shepherd. The Lord is the shepherd. And he's the one who leaves the 99 who never wandered away, and he went after that one and sought him out and brought him back into the fold. Jesus says, I came to seek and to save the lost. And so what James is talking about isn't us saving people. It's about offering people the gospel, that we speak the gospel. We speak about the Christ who saves the wandering and who saves them from death and covers their sins. We tell people about Jesus because we know that only the grace of Jesus can transform our saved people. And so you see the difference between the law and the gospel. The, the, The law says what God commands us to do The gospel tells us what God has done to save us in Jesus. And so that's why every Sunday when we come here, every sermon, over and over again, we need to hear, it's Jesus who's rescuing all of us. He is the Savior. Because our deepest belief is that when a person has been welcomed into the security of the family of God, has been humbled by God's truth and God's law, and they see how impossible it is for them to honor God on their own strength, They see their own weakness and their sinfulness and their finiteness and their fragility. And then they turn to Jesus for grace. He he rescues them from death. He covers their many sins and he transforms their life. That is how grace changes us. That is what this community is about, is a place where people come to find the grace of Jesus, that it might transform them and us Is there really a more hopeful message in the whole world? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we praise you that we read the many pages of your holy word and find on every page words of grace and truth that all point us to the person of Christ who calls us to obedience and yet uh, knows our weakness and um, has covered our sins. Lord, we pray that you would drop many wandering sheep, lost sheep, to your kingdom, to your family, through us as a community. And Lord, would this truth be the great joy of our whole lives? Grace to sinners. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.